Good evening, and welcome to another edition of the Earning Hope Podcast. And boy, do we have a big story for you tonight. So, in uh, the days after the major riot at the Capitol building, the National Guard has been deployed, and they are standing guard and doing their job and making sure that they're ready to deal with any potential uh, upheaval on Inauguration Day, which I sort of doubt was going to happen. I think we've seen the worst of it. Um, But the big story, surprisingly, is actually not that. What we are looking at here is the initial stages of basically what will amount to social credit scoring system and financial shutdowns of any organization progressive or conservative that is spinning any story that doesn't go in line with big tech and the mainstream media or anything that could be detrimental to a politician's career if they're doing something corrupt. It is basically a total media blackout. And what they are doing is the strategy that's already been implemented in China but they did it without actually calling it social credit scoring system. They've implemented it as a team. And the, the bigger story here is that as this is going on, already since Biden has, has been making the transition and not even been sworn in yet, the major two players in this event is Saudi Arabia and China. And they are making a big financial move with cryptocurrency as the Federal Reserve discusses the implementation of a, of a digital currency, they were already ready to implement the technology necessary in order to facilitate it. Um, so we're going to get to that by the end of the story. But first thing is first, Comey, yes, Comey, has recommended that Biden should consider pardoning Trump. <laughs> so right away... We get Comey back in the picture, and of course, everybody who is frustrated with his handling of the story and delaying of things before uh, already told him to sit and spin on that one. But the reason why that has been suggested is going to become apparent as soon as we get through this story. Um, Congress should rein in top U.S. tech companies. A story, story from The Guardian. Uh, Companies including Amazon, Google, Facebook, and Apple have amassed too much power and should be reined in. U.S. lawmakers concluded in a major report resulting from uh, a 16-month inquiry into America's largest tech platforms, these companies wield their dominance in ways that erode entrepreneurship, degrade Americans' privacy online, and undermine the vibrancy of a free and diverse press. House Judiciary Committee concluded in its nearly 500-page report... The result is less innovative, fewer choices for consumers, and weakened democracy. The history or the historic investigation is the most significant effort to check big tech's power since the government sued Microsoft for antitrust violations in the 1990s. It follows the committee's lengthy inquiry into the effects of market dominance by major web platforms. The investigation saw the country's leading tech figures, including Jeff Bezos, Tim Cook, Mark Zuckerberg, and Sundar Pichai, testify before lawmakers during historic congressional hearings in July. 
However, the report was critical of their testimony, saying that the CEOs were often evasive and non-responsive, raising fresh questions about whether they believe they are beyond the reach of democratic oversight. The address, or to address the alleged monopolistic behavior from these companies, the committee offered a list of nearly a dozen sweeping changes, including structural separations of some of the companies. It also suggested the prevention of future mergers that could lead to monopolization and to reform antitrust laws to better rein in such explosive growth and domination before businesses are able to grow to size. So taking over a small startup before they're able to grow bigger. Now, something that is in parallel to this, uh, New York City unveils landmark antitrust bill that makes it easier to sue big tech giants. So as financial companies have fled to Florida out of New York City, and basically WeWork has gone uh, bankrupt, they're pitching, turning spaces like WeWork, office places, into apartment buildings. I would imagine, with the uh, hopes that they're going to attract people to come work and do remote jobs and probably start tech startups out of those places as real estate meaning that that was probably a real estate holding option in the first place. So that's another significant part of this strategy that was implemented. Congress held several, several hearings over persuasive technology and it asked the question uh, if legal immunity enabled big tech's bad behavior. So now we're talking about the rules and guidelines that are governing how they can be held legally accountable at the national level, they've already introduced some things in New York City to handle that so that people can protect their interests once these things are implemented, So, which is a, a good first move for New York City. Uh, in May of 2017, the Canadian Radio, Television and Telecommunications Commissions decided to declare broadband internet access an essential service and uh, said it was long overdue. The CRTC's policy decision delivered in December says, uh, it was December of 2017, or 2016, excuse me, says that all Canadian resident, uh, residential and business subscribers should be able to access internet service with upload speeds of at least 10 megabits per second and download speeds of 50 uh, megabits per second. The commission estimated that around 82% of the population are already covered by the new target, most of them in urban areas of the country. In addition to the speed requirements, the CRTC's aiming to make an unlimited data allowance option available for all broadband subscribers, of course, with a paywall, I'm sure. And it is also, or it also wants the latest mobile wireless technology expanded to as many major transportation roads as possible, as well as homes and businesses. Before the ruling, a local landline telephone, or landline telephone was the only CRTC uh, designated basic telecommunications service. So you could have dial-up. <laughs> today's decision signals a fundamental shift in our regulations for basic services from voice-related issues to broadband-related issues. CRTC Chairman Jean-Pierre Blaise told reporters that at a news conference announcing the ruling. 
The future of our economy, our prosperity, and our society, indeed the future of every citizen, requires us to set ambitious goals and to get on with connecting all Canadians for the 21st century, he added. John Lawford, Executive Director and General Counsel for the Public Interest Advocacy Center, welcomes the ruling, but he says he wishes it had come much earlier. We've been asking them to do it since 2010, and I think it should have happened a long time ago, but we are very pleased, he said. Uh, Lawford says he was a little surprised by the speeds selected by CRTC, and or since P PIAC, not sure what that is, had only requested minimum download speeds of 10 megabits per second in its submission to the regulator. However, uh, Blaze said the CRTC did not want to come in at a low or a level lower than that of other nations such as the U.S., Australia, which have set sim uh, similar targets at 25 megabits per second. I'd rather see them aim too high than too low, Lawford says. Tim Denton, former CRTC commissioner who now runs his own technology and telecommunications law practice in Ottawa, says he welcomes the commission's lofty goals. Ambition is good, and caution is not really going to re be rewarded. It's important to know that they are, seized, or they are seized of the problem, he says. A century ago, we made the decision socially to ensure that clean drinking water was available to everyone, and we engineered our society to provide it. Broadband access may be of secondary importance compared to something like that, but it is getting up there when you think about how basic it is to, connect, or to connecting and participating in the modern world. Toronto internet lawyer Jill Zvaloni uh, says it's hard to underestimate the economic and social benefits of high-speed internet. Sorry for butchering your name, Mr. Canadian. I think having this type of access across the country, including in remote areas, is important for the proper development of Canada's economy, he says. Now, this is also done in Kashmir. They declared that it was an essential service over there as well. So this is something that's a uh, precedent that's happening outside the country that should be implemented in the country and making it so that everybody has a democratic say in whether or not big tech is allowed to continue to control the internet in the way that they're doing it. We don't have that at the moment, so there is still a digital divide. Not, not as big as other countries, but we do have one in America. Uh, as of March 27th, San Francisco tech titans spent much of the last year playing defense, fending off dozens of federal and state antitrust investigations and public wary of their power. But the global coronavirus pandemic is prompting a dramatic reversal of fortune for the tech giants. Look at that. Amazon and Facebook are capitalizing on the fact that they are viewed as essential services since the, for a public in lockdown while Google and Apple are building tools that will enable state health departments to provide a critical public service, tracing the course of potential new coronavirus uh, COVID-19 infections. The pace of the probes against these companies has slowed as regulators and lawyers are forced to work from home. Emboldened tech lobbyists are fighting to delay the enforcement of new privacy law this summer in California, saying they can't comply by July deadline due to upheaval. And while the global economy faces potential unemployment and the uh, contraction not seen since the Great Depression, the tech giants and a handful of medium-sized tech firms are already benefiting 
from new consumer habits initiated during the lockdowns. The, the analysts believe will turn into long-term shifts in how people shop, work, and entertain themselves, so business. The broader stock markets tanked in recent weeks, but share prices of Amazon and Microsoft hit a near-record high. Facebook is moving in to acquire high-skilled talent, announcing the hiring of 10,000 new workers for this year. The tech giants' deep pockets will enable them to withstand the coming global economic recession, a stark contrast to what industry insiders and analysts expect to be the biggest shakeup of the tech landscape in years, as many startups will collapse. Tech giants uh, will expand on the power they've accumulated using the playbook of the last decade, snapping up talent, buying, uh, buying or copying rivals, and eroding traditional industries, some of those weakened companies may disappear altogether and secede even more territory to tech. So they get held accountable in Congress, and then all of a sudden COVID-19 comes along, and they start doing exactly what they were being held accountable for in Congress. January 9th of 2021. Users are searching on small conservative social media platform after President Donald Trump banned from world's social networks, even as those platforms are seeing access throttled by the app, marketplaces of tech's biggest players, the social network Parler, a network that mimics Twitter, is now the number one app in the Apple Store. This is after they've already been uh, shut down, by the way. Uh, claimed that it was seeing an up explosion uh, seeing an explosion in the number of signups to its web-based platform as well. Parler saw approximately 210,000 installs globally on Friday the, the 8th, up 281% from approximately 55,000 on the 7th, according to data from the analytics service Sensor Tower. In the U.S., the app saw approximately 182,000 first-time downloads on the 8th, up to 355% from about 40,000 installs on the 7th. Wednesday, the app has seen approximately 268,000 installs from across U.S. app stores. A press rep from Sensor Tower wrote in an email. Parler's ballooning user base comes at a potentially perilous time for the company. It has already been removed from Google's Play Store, and Apple is considering suspending the social media app as well if it does not add some content moderation features, which they do have policies and they did regulate things on their app. This is them be having, a, get basically they're moderating another competitor's application and they're not hired or working for the company to moderate that application and there was people on the platform who were not Republicans who were critical in the comments section and it was already starting to become a platform for discourse. Some people were just trolling, but others were not, including a, rep, a former representative, Tulsi Gabbard, of the Democratic Party. Uh, several uh, news media figures, uh, many writers, a, a lot of politicians in the Republican Party had switched over to Parler, uh, except for President Trump. So President Trump didn't even have a parlor account, and they still shut it down. Now, again, I mentioned 
San Francisco. And these tech companies are located in San Francisco. The incoming vice president and probably the deciding vote on whether or not Donald Trump will be impeached or, or held liable further after the inauguration of Joe Biden is the former DA of San Francisco. There is a major conflict of interest there. This person should not get a say in whether or not those things are done, which means that it wouldn't get done. It would be a 50-50 vote if it's what would happen. So by one vote, they'll be able to pass or deny criminal charges. Comey's recommending a pardon, and if they're smart, they'll do that because it's a major conflict of interest, considering that big tech was just held liable in Congress for these exact practices, and they themselves have been inciting riotous behavior for the entirety of Donald Trump's presidency on the left with Antifa and Black Lives Matter. This is absolutely unacceptable censorship. Not just censorship, though. So, in another talk, three months before this, on October 7th, Re Representative David Cicilline, Democrat from Rhode Island, chairman of the Antitrust Subcommittee, joined uh, CBS Power Launch to, or CMC, uh, MSNBC, or CBS, I can't remember which one, but to discuss the reporter, or the report released by House Democrats on the state of big tech, and argued that it was a danger to business in general. But this was mostly posturing, and you can tell that it was posturing because he was mentioning the interference in the 2016 elections, still touting Russian collusion, which did not actually happen. The Russian hoax was perpetrated by the Democratic Party, and this was posturing leading up to this event. They did just ban him from so or they didn't just ban Donald Trump from social media. They banned him from every tool used for business on the internet. According to Axios, published July 11th, 2021, they've banned the president from Reddit, Twitch, Shopify, the Shopify store, Twitter, Google and Google services, YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, TikTok, Apple, the Apple Store, Discord, uh, Pinterest, Amazon, AWS, which is the server service on which you can host an application like Parler. They did the same thing with Parler also. Stripe, which is a payment system. OKTA, the user authentication method. In or that way they can verify their users. So Parler in particular you had to have a verification label on your profile. So they weren't just trolls or people able to go on there and manipulate that. That was another level of security on Parler that was harder to get on Facebook and Twitter than it was on Parler. On Parler, you submitted an ID or some form of identification that was valid and you were able to get an authentic authentication label on your profile, making it more secure, in fact, than their competitors. Uh, Twillow, the enterprise communications company. So they shut down the back-end communications of the business. So 
all of Trump's ability to do business using the internet, which has been declared an essential service, broadly speaking, since the coronavirus came into effect and already been declared that way by the Supreme Court in Canada and in Kashmir, to name two, was taken away from the President of the United States of America. Contact tracing as a job. Okay, so in China, the social credit score system, there was a man sued over a loan he took out with a, with another borrower, and the, the other borrower defaulted on the loan. It damaged, but that damaged his social credit score even though he paid his portion of the loan, and he had to fight to regain the full social credit score. This social credit scoring system there is being used to restrict travel and other essential services. So, published April 23rd of 2020 here in the United States is a talk between CGI or on CGI University which is a President Bill Clinton and Governor Cuomo talking about the COVID-19 pandemic in which they describe creating a contact tracing network very similar to what has been done in China with the social credit scoring system but over there it's somebody walking around taking notes and observing their neighbors and reporting on them and giving them a plus or minus score for seeing them do polite things or negative things in public and this is determining their ability to travel and obtain banking services and everything else in China. This was actually somebody walking around basically telling on the neighbors. So now let's say you've got a Seinfeld situation with somebody in your neighborhood and they're a contact tracer. Contact tracing isn't just about COVID-19. Clearly none of this was just about COVID-19. This was being done as an opportunity to do two things, to implement a social credit system under the radar. And given the players involved, it's pretty obvious this was motivated financially because of fintech and digital currencies. But not just that, censorship of the media. So Netflix CEO Red Hastings went to Brian Fogel's debut of his movie about the killing of Jamal Khashoggi at Sundance Film Festival. Okay? Reed Hastings was there on the day, and so was Hillary Clinton. The movie got a standing ovation. People were wiping tears from their eyes as Haddis looked, or took the stage. The director. Uh, or the CEO, excuse me. Uh, oh, excuse me. I think Haddis is the one of the characters in the movie. Uh, it was the same scene at each one of our screenings. So they did multiple screenings and they got standing ovations. They won an award for this film. We were blessed with incredible reviews for all the tra- uh, of, uh, from all the trades, all the trade magazines that write about movies that are about to come out and get purchased. In any normal circumstance, you would think... Of course, this film is going to be acquired and distributed. And yet, not only was it not acquired and distributed, there was universal silence. Not a single offer, not one dollar or twelve mil or not twelve million dollars, which was what was paid for another documentary title at the festival. 
nothing. It was literally as if nobody knew me. It was uh, that startling and that shocking. And he has gone, Brian Fogel has gone to do an interview on Joe Rogan, which I recommend, in which he discusses why that might be in a little bit further detail. But basically, he covered in intimate detail the killing of Jamal Khashoggi and his reporting on the Saudi government. And basically, it would be as if they had chopped up, instead of putting Julian Assange in isolation, it, it would be as if they chopped him up into little pieces and tried to dispose of the body and used a body double to try and make it look like he walked out of the building where he was actually killed and chopped up. So they went a little bit further than what they've done with Julian Assange. But you can see the implications here. Okay, so Hillary Clinton went to this movie and that's the person who has a lot of power in politics, whether they're in office or not. And this movie, which was universally revered at the festival, at every showing, standing ovations, at a, at a showing where other documentary films had received $12 million, which may not have gotten standing ovations at every single showing, and were, were definitely not as relevant to our times in a time of censorship as a movie like that, nobody would touch it with a 10-foot pole. This, this amounts to an agree, agreed upon... Base, and the, again, this is during COVID-19. So this is when people are supposed to be socially distancing, but the kind of folks that can afford to go to a movie festival like this are all obviously mostly very wealthy people and filmmakers. And so these folks decided that you didn't need to know about the, the silencing of the journalist Jamal Khashoggi, the same as they've decided we don't need to know about the silencing of the journalist Julian Assange. And right now, Project Veritas is doing a lot of things that are very, very harmful to the bottom line of politicians who racketeer and take bribes and do things that are nefarious in our government. And all of these strategies could be used to target any independent journalistic outlet. And as a matter of fact, when the prop or not list came out, they basically did that to every single independent journalistic outlet by associating them with Russians, saying that they were putting out Russian propaganda, including Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist Chris Hedges and Truth Dig, Robert Shear, Truth Dig, all these folks that would normally be reporting you to you about union issues, progressive issues, social rights issues, were essentially silenced in business in the same way that this movie was universally silenced. The investor withdrew. They tried to unionize the investor the other owner of the company decided to shut it down. Uh, you can still find information from them at Shearpost. Uh, and Chris Hedges has a TV show on Russian Times News, but it should be on public service access television. And what was just exposed by PBS was that one of their head lawyers thinks that all Americans are idiots, essentially. He said, we're all pretty stupid and ended up getting fired over this. So this is the kind of dangerous time we're in, in which they are silencing this dissent against censorship, and it is not just conservative voices. 
this is PBS, this is progressive voices that were targeted like this well before the conservative right was, was targeted. You, you have to understand how dangerous this is. In addition to this, Saudi Arabia opens a banking plans could revolutionize opportunities for fintech. The move could open the market to numerous fintech services, digital currency services, spurring competition and increasing users' options when it comes to managing their own finances, with some 70% of the kingdom's 34 million population under the age of 30, a highly digital uh, lit lit literate. It's a potentially lucrative market for fintech providers and startups. Saudi Arabia's central bank, the Saudi Arabian Monetary Authority, SAMA, is launching a framework for open banking in the kingdom. That is as of the 14th of January, 2021. So you can see that this is all coinciding at the same time. Now, again, that's going on at the same time as China is pulling back in mass as a population from all of this tech surveillance that they've had implemented under social credit scoring. So the Chinese have had this implemented and they've decided they don't like it. An article that was published today also details how that is going over there. But while that's also going on, the Chinese UN digital currency is being basically tested out with the Canadian banking system because they've implemented strategies for auditing digital currencies to try and in enable laws and payouts. In America, with the stimulus payments in the, in the last stimulus bill that they passed, they put in legislation so that you could be paid your stimulus bill in digital currencies. So this was not an accident. They did this, this was their plan. This is how lobbying works. This is how they get things like that done un outside the awareness of the president. And I've been talking about this since the beginning of the lockdown. Other people have been talking about it for uh, at least a year before that but it looked like they were trying to boom and bust and build up their coffers of digital currencies and that was predominantly going into the pockets of tech savvy millennials and the older investors in the market have basically stepped back from that investment strategy because they can see that it's basically a boiler room operation as a tech startup and it's being used in such a way, they've already been held accountable for racketeering in some cases, to basically rob Americans' wealth underneath COVID-19. So a lot of these tech company employees and a lot of folks that are in startup companies and big tech basically robbed your pocketbook for the last year, and then they shut out all the progressive independent journalists, all of the 74 million plus people on the right side of the argument from having a conversation about what they were doing and censored Americans. They, they blacked out half the country from being able to actually have an articulated conversation about whether we actually did want the president impeached or not. Then they rammed through an impeachment process on the president and blamed him for inciting a riot, which he did not incite. I do not agree with that statement. So I don't care how you really fall down on it. To be honest with you, from the military standpoint, he didn't incite a riot. 
people were already pissed off for the last four years, starting day one on President Trump's inauguration, there was violent riots in the streets just because Trump got elected instead of Hillary Clinton. That's what happened. If you'll remember, the very first day President Trump was inaugurated and Hillary Clinton lost, people were screaming in the streets, smashing windows out of the buildings, setting limousines on fire across the country. This was absolutely insane, unprecedented riots across America that, that looked mildly like the Los Angeles riots. And this continued for the entirety of the president's term as president of the United States. Now, I'd like to remind you that we have been at war consistently for 20 years. Since 2001, we went into Afghanistan and we have not stopped being in a direct conflict in two countries in the Middle East and also bombing the shit out of Yemen. We've toppled Gaddafi. We have basically let that conflict spill over into Syria. All of these things are going on in the Middle East that is outside of most Americans' awareness. Most of you couldn't find these places on a map and you don't care. But what you don't understand is that this was all going on to distract you from the fact that under Obama, they falsely claimed there was gas attacks in Syria. That was exposed by the OP. Uh, CW, the, the, the governing body for the United Nations that inspects chemical weapons claims said that that was false. That did not happen. And then again, when Trump took office, they tried to do this. They tried to say that there was a chemical attack. And then they actually did bomb Syria after that. Turns out that that wasn't the case. And so commanding general stepped down because he could see, I'm pretty sure, that he was, it was rigged. The game was rigged. And there was, he wasn't being told everything. And something else was going on. And since all of this has gone on, what you're not hearing in the independent media is that all of that stuff was being pumped out to us through a propaganda campaign that was connected to the UK and our own intelligence agencies. And they were telling us false information to try and further the conflict in Syria, a policy that was started under the Obama administration by funding moderate rebels. This culminated in the, under this administration, the Golan Heights being annexed and given to, to Israel, which contained one of the largest oil reserves in the Middle East. Now, the antitrust laws that are on the books originally came about because of big oil companies. Okay, the um, Standard Oil and all these different things, they were the ones that caused us to have these antitrust laws in the first place. Digital information, digital currencies, your personal private information is now considered the new oil. Data is the new oil. Why? Because marketing and advertising, application developments, your psychological profile, this is called surveillance capitalism. And this is how these companies are buying and trading in your ideas. They are selling you products 
they are they know more about you than you know about yourself that's according to Michelle Zubahoff, I think it is, who wrote a book called Surveillance Capitalism. She's done several talks on it. I have not had a chance to read the book, but what she laid out is that basically they have us down so hard with this data stuff that they were able to predict that a woman was pregnant before she knew herself because of a change in her buying habits for scented versus natural uh, hair shampoo. So she changed her buying habits and they were able to predict based on other information that they had gathered, God knows what, her ovulation cycle based on when she was buying tampons, who knows, but they were able to predict that she was pregnant. And they started sending notifications to the woman's dad. And so dad found out she was pregnant before she knew she was pregnant because of surveillance capitalism. That is the kind of thing that they are buying and selling and trading in. This is the kind of stuff that they can use to do very horrifying and dangerous things to American citizens outside our awareness in general. So not to mention that we're going to be uninformed like no other time in history, even though we're more connected than ever. Say you work in the tech industry, but you are trying to do a startup and your startup is in some way liberating for your users and you're not providing or coughing up data and selling data like they want. So you're not being cooperative market player in this way. They can shut down your business and, and silence you out of the market. This is exactly what the congressional hearings warned us about. And they have basically, ipso facto, purchased an election, interfered with both the 2016 election and the 2020 election. And they helped all this along using surveillance capitalism and opposition research. This is a thing that's normally done, opposition research. But this is dangerous. This is a threat to national security that these companies have more power than the Department of Defense. That, that's insanity. And they, they have the power, basically, to decide who the President of the United States is. That's insanity. They basically stole your vote. Even if you don't believe in vote rigging, they interfered with this election in such a way as to verifiably have affected the outcome of both elections. We learned that with, through Cambridge Analytica in the 2017 election. So it doesn't matter who you believe won the election. The fact of the matter is that Cambridge Analytica and companies like them who deal in surveillance capitalism were responsible for you being upset about the 2017 election outcome. That's the bottom line. So if you were upset then, and if you're upset now, imagine how much more upset you'll be if you can't run an online business and these lockdowns continue and small businesses are getting shut down while these digital capitalists are basically robbing the country and they didn't bother reporting it to you because they have silenced all dissent and censored the media entirely. That's the real state of affairs right now. And again, I feel it's important to remind you as American citizens, 
that the deciding vote in whether or not the president will be held criminally liable after he's already been impeached, they moved forward with a second impeachment, is from the same district as the startup companies and these major companies that have affected both elections. Same district. And I don't know how to tell you this, but they basically chose that person to become the president or vice president long before she was ever nominated vice president. It was pretty obvious to most political analysts and people that are paying attention to this stuff that that was the person who was going to be chosen. So they, they didn't, you didn't get to your vote like you think you did. Even if you're in the Democratic Party, you didn't get a vote. You didn't get a say. I'm sure that there are a lot of people in the Democratic Party who would have preferred other candidates. In this election, I would have preferred Tulsi Gabbard, for example. It would have been nice to see Nina Harris run for president, for Christ's sake, versus Kamala Harris. That would have had a nurse. That would have been amazing. <laughs> but no, we didn't get that. What we got was the top cop, somebody who has obstructed the Supreme Court of the United States for three years during their time as DA to save the state of California, which is now in full collapse, used to be the fifth largest economy in the world. In, yes, I said in the world, not just the United States. California, before the pandemic, had the fifth largest economy in the world. This, this DA obstructed the Supreme Court for three years and was nearly held in contempt for arguing to not let out nonviolent drug offenders so that she could save the state of California money on paying firefighters. That's a thing that actually happened on her record. So now maybe you can understand why that is so audaciously bad given the amount of influence people in her district had over United States elections in both 2017 and 2020. Essentially, the big tech startup companies in Silicon Valley bought our government from us in the last four years. They just outright aggressively bought us out. It was an aggressive takeover. <laughs> There's a company buyouts that happen in business sometimes, and basically big tech just took over our nation. That's not okay. It needs to be stopped, to be honest with you. But I, I don't have the power to do that. The only people that have the power to do that are the American citizens basically demanding that the conservatives not be censored off of these platforms instead of instead of complaining about the differences in your opinions understand that you have a common argument and that the, the democratic congress itself all the democratic establishment congress members have already argued the point that big tech had too much power they did 16 months of hearings and they already made all these arguments of course they're going to make that argument against the right. It's in their political interests to say that, well, we're afraid that people on the right are gonna do this to us. But the reality is, big tech was gonna do it to whoever it was in charge. It didn't matter. Big tech is the only ones that won this election. <laughs> That's it. So it's a lot more dangerous and nefarious that you, that, than you realize that the president was censored off of Twitter. If you like him, now you know why he's off of there. If you hate him, now you know why he's off of there. 
It's not just dangerous, and he, he didn't incite a riot. If that was true, then you're gonna blame all the Antifa rioting and Black Lives Matter rioting on the president inciting a riot. Bullshit. I'm sorry to tell you that. People throw a fit sometimes, and they go crazy and break all kinds of shit. That's happened before. The Los Angeles riots popped off because of something that was not related to the president at the time. It was an act of violence in the streets that happened. A bunch of police officers beat up a man, and the next thing we knew, California was burning, okay? We just had that happen all over the nation. The police kicked it off in the exact same way. We saw that there's been Capitol Police that were held accountable for basically letting the protesters in to the Capitol building itself. This is why we need to hold all of our government officials accountable for this total failure in governance, basically. We need to make sure that the law enforcement is reformed, not defunded. We need to make it to where the cops who did not sign up to be contact traced when they were asked to sign up for it before that was implemented for all of us, only 40% of the law enforcement agreed to do that. The other 60% decided to opt out and cited constitutional rights as their reason. So they're more than willing to do this to you, but they're unwilling to have that same authority doled out on them so that they, they could be tracked and they could keep track of things like police violence. Let that sink in for a second, okay? Union cops are going to protect their jobs. <laughs> people are people. We're not just flawed. Some people will act upon their flaws. And unfortunately, Democrats, I don't mean to lean hard on you on this one, but they were caught on camera a, a, admitting that there were people that they could call up in certain areas of the country and call up a union leader and say, I need a guy to go do this here and they would pay them money to go do it. This isn't the George Soros conspiracy. You can look this video up. It was all over CNN. It was on PBS. It was on MSNBC. It was on every news media outlet. They had to fire the advisor to the Democratic National Convention who admitted on the same tape that everything had to be cleared through the Clinton campaign. They admitted it on camera. This isn't a joke. So it doesn't matter if you believe that was a conspiracy theory. You need to go get it from the mouth of the politician who said it and was fired. By the way, he was married. He was a felon. And he was married to a Democratic congresswoman, Jan Joukowsky. Jan Joukowsky has a pretty good voting record as a Democrat. I really couldn't fault her for anything, democratically speaking, that she voted for. She seems to vote in the Democratic Party's interests, but she does play the political game. And so there's another damning piece of information about that politician that's out there, which is mildly irrelevant at this point, but it, it would be suffice to say that that political appointee could potentially have been compromised due to information that was held over them. And that was reported by the FBI in a deposition by a former FBI whistleblower. So this is a, a real threat to national security. And it basically brought about 
the failure of the State Department, the Department of Justice to do their job, the FBI doing their job, all these failures that we had in law enforcement that seemed like utter chaos in the last four years were actually internal groups of people trying to protect the fact that they had been culpable in doing things like this for many years prior to this. They didn't want, want to be held accountable if some of these major players and politicians and very powerful CEOs and company owners went down. They were probably afraid that this information, the surveillance capitalism information, this stuff that's coming from NSA databases and being given to contractors would be used against them in the same way that it's being used against American citizens, probably up to including to blackmail them. So <laughs> this is, again, a, a threat to our sovereignty and to our national security. Mass data surveillance was deemed unconstitutional, but now they changed it to contact tracing. So it's got a new word and a new legal definition that would need to then be banned. And then they'll just say, well, but it helps with the health monitoring. It's an obfuscation. Okay? It's like when a little kid tries to change the definition of something so that they can get away with it. It's very childish. But, you know, because they all went to law school, they figure out how to word it in such ways to make it sound like a crisis, to where it's something that needs to be addressed immediately. Again, this is not conspiratorial. This is how legalese and financial speak goes. They have their own lingo. They, they use it readily, and they know how to church up a document so that they can slip stuff in under the radar when they're passing legislation. You know, funding whatever thing it's in, that's in a funding bill, when we're supposed to be getting some kind of relief payment during a pandemic, and at the same time, there's a bunch of defense spending snuck in there that doesn't make any sense. And there's funding to other nations for, specifically for things that are totally irrelevant to COVID-19. That's very dangerous, especially at the same time as you're, you're arguing to defund the police and causing them to basically, in some cases, give up. <laughs> That's bad. When they're demoralized, the, the only thing worse then compromised is demoralized. Once demoralized, they don't have an incentive to protect and serve. If compromised, there is still an incentive for their fellow officers to hold them accountable to the standard. When demoralized, they quit the force, and then the ones that stay behind are the ones that are more willing to do the dirt. So it isn't good. That's how things get radicalized. That's how we radicalized terrorists on accident, for example. That's, that's a really bad thing for the state of affairs in America. It, it leaves behind a brute squad that's underfunded and more than willing to violate your constitutional rights to protect themselves and protect corrupt politicians in such a way as to take away your constitutional freedoms basically in perpetuity and with tools and surveillance tools that we had already all agreed were unconstitutional at the Supreme Court level, but because they changed the definition, they're now allowed to do it. This is how that went down. The 2017 and 2020 election 
were essentially stolen from the United States population. The, the strategy of the Democratic National Convention was the Pied Piper strategy. They wanted to eliminate all of the competition except for Donald Trump because they didn't think Donald Trump was electable. And then it turns out that he was electable because he went to every single state in the United States, not just the ones where all the electoral votes get counted in large number that they usually count on. And because he did that, he was able to swing an unexpected vote in the election. And then immediately they set into unfolding all this stuff. They had a contingency plan for all this. And you notice they sort of you know, stepped into the background. And we were giving Hillary Clinton crap because she wrote a book about how I lost the election. And she basically blamed you, the voter, for her losing the election. Even though you were with her, she blamed you anyway in her book. But the fact of the matter is, their plan didn't work out. They, they thought that they had it scientifically managed with big tech, and they thought that they were going to win the Internet. But it turned out Donald Trump is such a goof that it was, it was like watching Jerry Springer and the real America voted, which is the one that liked to watch Jerry Springer, is, is the one who was like, yeah, I'm going to get out there and vote. And that hasn't happened in a while. And so that guy got elected. And in this election, 74 million people, 74 million people got out and voted for a Republican. That's a lot of people. <laughs> More people voted supposedly for Joe Biden than voted for Obama. That is incredible. Because did you see Obama's crowds when he got elected? They were massive, huge freaking crowds. Joe Biden literally had like a picnic set up. It's, it was not standing room only. It was you were literally in standing distance to hear Joe Biden talk. That's how few people were showing up to these events. And somehow he got a turnout greater than Obama. And everybody says, nah, you know what time it is. It sounds a lot to me like everybody was just shit sure that they were going to make it happen with the mail-in voting. So you guys were convinced that that was how that got done, but the reality is they paid for it to get done. And according to Princeton University, and I'm quoting Larry Lessig here, so you can look this up later. He did a TED Talk on it. When the top, four, or th top 400 families in America decide something is going to be legislated, that is the only time that happens. So the most wealthy 1% of the 1%, the top 400 families in America, and big tech stole this election from you. Have a good night. Addendum. So at the beginning of the podcast, I read about the Canadian officials declaring at their Supreme Court level internet access as an essential service, like telecommunications essential services, and comparing it nearly to as being important as water, not as important as water, obviously, but for business in the 21st century, it is absolutely crucial. And even if you want to do your paying your bills, if you want to order food, for example, like we've been doing under the lockdown, these sort of things, 
That's what they consider essential, and it's, that's the new normal they want to implement. So also back in 2010, 2011, Robert Mueller was out there in full force giving speeches about how they wanted to imp implement these sort of censorship type things on the internet. He gave pretty extended lengthy legal speeches that are, uh, well, if you're not, <laughs> for me, I could sit through the whole thing. But a lot of people don't want to sit there and listen to legalese for several hours on end. And so for me, because he's talking about tech, it, the legalese part of it, it doesn't bother me too much. He's talking about a functionary of the market that's important for you to know about and what they might be planning for later on strategies. Now, how does this apply to, let's say you're a musician or an artist, a comedian, for example. Let's say you're Richard Pryor. They implemented the 30-second delay because of Richard Pryor on live television uh, but so that they could keep him from saying things that were too offensive, all right? This is an equivalent type of thing to that. Or let's say you have warning labels on music now when they sell it at the stores. Let's say NWA was to come out with F the Police in 2022 after they've gotten everything that they want. Now because digital rights to music can be divvied up and sold in the form of digital format and they can be uh, protected with rights that are using, uh, using uh, encryption, data encryption. So non-centralized data encryption, the same kind that's being used for digital currencies, the blockchain is also being used to ensure rights to art and things like that for royalty purposes. They've been selling royalties using data encryption for music, uh, movies. This is probably the future of the entertainment industry. Now, they just now voted to not change any of the legal rules that were traditionally held in the music industry for recording artist rights and keep those in place. This will enable large record labels to basically do the same thing that they did in the 90s and the early 2000s and get back the supremacy and control over the flow of music that they once had. This will create jobs in the industry for management and artist relations uh, people and all the various aspects of music that were involved before, but it could be extremely detrimental to the independent artist community if they decide to censor your album. Now you could go on a banned book, uh, banned book list. Um, if you're a journalist and you're selling subscription access to your journal, your information, and they, they now they declare you akin to WikiLeaks because you're talking about national security matters or you're disclosing information from other countries that they don't want you to know about because they consider it a matter of national security for the operations that are going on, most likely on behalf of some large excavation company or some oil company. And it's a thing that you don't want your tax dollars paying for, but they've now declared you an adversary as a journalist, which they already put wording for that into their policies. And they can censor you and up to including Julian Assange into a jail cell for using the internet to be a journalist or an artist, anything like that. These are relatively approachable topics for anybody that has nothing to do with election
fraud and election theft, they have to do with entirely free speech rights, the First Amendment. This is primarily, and always has been, about sequestering information that they don't want you to know and censorship. These are the kind of censorship things the decency laws that have been passed in places like the UK have enabled people for things that they declare to be hate speech, which in some circles may not be considered hate speech, to be a criminal offense. So now, if you use the wrong pronoun, you may be sued or held criminally liable and serve a jail sentence for posting something on Twitter. This is a thing that could potentially come about soon. Not, not later, within the next year. They're already talking about doing this to conservatives who were supporters of Trump. They basically decided that they're going to use them as a sacrificial lamb. But if you think it stops there, you're dead wrong. If your music, let's say WAP, they decide WAP is too offensive now. Now all of a sudden, if you download WAP or you find a way to get WAP through a VPN and and you've got it on your computer, but they're monitoring and surveilling you, and they're getting past your encryption because they've got all of these new fancy toys, and or you play it at a club, and they're like, oh no, that's banned music. Now we're right back to the 1950s and 1960s when they were banning black music out of clubs. That's exactly the kind of power we're talking about here that could be potentially implemented with this system. So the irony is that we're honoring Martin Luther King and we're doing all these things and they're giving you the idea of a win but long term we're going right back to the days when you weren't allowed to speak freely about your oppression and it doesn't matter which group of people you subscribe to that is the most approachable way I can explain that to somebody who's on the democratic side of the house the right side of the house religious freedoms and all these different things that is their issue and the same thing applies so now again these tools could be implemented to reduce harm but the fact of the matter is the state of law enforcement has made it abundantly clear in the last eight to ten years that is not what they intend to use it for they've been trying to find a way to get rid of songs like F the police since the 1980s so it's not going to be one of those things where it works out in our favor. It's just not. If you didn't know that that was a thing that was going on and that they could do that with tech, now you know. The digital divide is about to grow into a chasm. The economic divide. They basically just crushed the middle class and small independent businesses like comedy clubs, for example, by shutting off all down they totally destroyed that industry there's already startups where they're streaming and doing these shows live now on Broadway and things like that which is great news now people can go to the show and be socially distant at the show if they want to and they can space people out according to whatever the regulation is in a pandemic but also people can pay and watch it at home just like you pay for Netflix that's not a downside that's a good thing live stream has been a thing that was available for music concerts and music goers for a long time but now 
Now, if you are to, say, use VLC media player to record that, and then you redistribute it, you're definitely doing jail time. <laughs> so, I mean, that's a thing that you shouldn't do anyway. But this is a way for them to basically ensure that artists actually get paid. That's the idea. The downside being that they can now censor artists like they never have been able to before. So that's really bad. That's bad for culture. That's bad for freedom. That's bad for the First Amendment all around. So, again, I just wanted to add an addendum at the end here and make it more approachable than elections because most people are just tired of hearing about politics. So the long and short of it is all the stuff I just explained to you Put that in terms of whatever it is that you want to do as an artist or if you're a craft maker or something like that. Let's say you make offensive t-shirts. All right, you've made an offensive t-shirt. Now you get shut down. Your business gets shut down. They pull out all of your support structures and they do what they just did to the President of the United States. This can be done. If somebody reports you to the cops, they say you're offensive and they take this as far as it looks like they're trying to take it with decency laws, then they're going to make sure that that's what happens. That's Again, everybody's tired of hearing 1984 shit, but that's basically what that is. And so it's a combination of things. And in addition to that, I talked about in the previous podcast how one of the major players in the tech industry was going to be using text and vocal recognition and the way that you type to basically deem you a crazy person. So if they can't go about doing it by censoring you under the argument that it's a risk to national security, They'll just declare you a crazy person because of the way you typed or mistyped in your Google search bar. Really, that's not a joke. That's really a thing. You can look it up. Palantir has got technology that they're trying to implement to help treat, uh, well, they said schizophrenia is his primary focus. So, but basically, they'll just declare you a schizoaffective person if you're talking about anything they don't want you to talk about. And then they'll use ketamine to soma you out of your senses so that you basically will be too numb to have an opinion. That's legitimately a thing you can read about with Peter Thiel and Palantir, the, the Palantir investor, major weed investor, moved to Colorado, also invested in a major company for drugs that are like psilocybin, ketamine, these different things, psychedelics, which do have a beneficial outcome for people who have traumatic experiences, post-traumatic stress disorder, things like that. They tested it at the VA, something I discussed in the last podcast. But now, if you're a political dissident, they'll just put you on ketamine. (laughs) You can see how that might be a little dangerous. So it's one of those things where this isn't me postulating a thing that that was a a wall street journal article about the companies that that one investor in big tech is invested in that don't on the surface seem bad or nefarious but the way that the government has been going and the way that they just put julian assange in jail for like a decade and he's been having to sit there in isolation for like a decade should give you pause and really make you question on whether or not this is the future we want or whether or not we might want to, you know, swallow a tough pill of truth that we might not like to hear and try and, you know, develop a a sense of, of independence again in which we can hear hard things that we don't like to hear but that people have the right to say and 
basically vote your conscience and learn to live life like adults again. Because we can't stay socially distant forever. Eventually, people are going to have to go to work in Amazon's factory, where they're now demanding to form a union, finally. And that's going to be a place now where if you complain or you try to form a, any stronger union organization than what they might come up with now, well, now, instead of letting you form a union, they'll just put you on ketamine <laughs> and give you a slightly easier task so that you don't get injured. Not that they care if you get injured, according to the reports that have been coming out of there for the last four years. They really don't care. So this is dangerous. Again, all these antitrust laws were enabled back when Standard Oil was broken up. And back then, they were sterilizing people in this country against their will. They were doping them up. against. They were giving out cocaine and heroin as medication back then. So this is a rerun of the stuff we've already seen in the 1920s and the 1930s. The things that brought about the garment fires, the things that we had labor union formations over in the first place. The, the reason we have rock and roll and hip hop, the, the, the counterculture that turned into the culture of the 60s and eventually got us civil rights, they'll finally have been able to figure out a way to make sure that we can't ever think for ourselves like that ever again. So if you're a person who's for your pronouns, not that I understand that really, because it's a dangerous legal ground to get on when you start doing that, but if you're for that, they might decide that uh, you, you're, no, no, you're identifying by the wrong pronoun. And if you don't want to go along with what they're telling you according to your speech patterns and the, what, the, what you've been typing into your Google search, they'll just drug you and make you go along. <laughs> Again, that's not an exaggeration. That's the implications behind the technology being used to diagnose and give out medications to people. And the way that they're trying to force the vaccine for COVID-19 on everyone like that you could see how they might be trying to set up a precedent for forcing ketamine on people who the computer says are schizoaffective, not a person who actually sat down and talked to them, but the computer said so, so we're going to make them do it against their will. That's a thing that can be done in America. People can be put into mental institutions against their will and held for up to three days, and they can be drugged against their will if they are deemed a threat to society. Uh, if you're not paying attention to that Julian Assange thing now, you probably should. So again, this is a very dangerous period in history in which we are being asked to blindly walk into a trap, essentially, where we have our constitutional rights and civil liberties removed from us entirely in place of a system of governance that would, that would <laughs> resemble everything that was covered by Huxley and Orwell. So if you, uh, if you didn't like the uh, first portion of that podcast, hopefully that puts it into a little bit more of a, a motivating space for you to consider these things and look into it further yourself. Uh, most of the articles I read were from TechCrunch, CNN, Wired Magazine. These were all Axios. All these articles that I read 
in the first part of the podcast were all front page news and that's publicly available you can access all this stuff yourself I will try in the future here when I'm not living outside because again I essentially had a form of social credit scoring implemented on me at the beginning of the lockdown I've been living without housing since February against my will because I have money to rent a place but I'm not being allowed to rent a place I was basically blackballed from renting houses that's the kind of future you are looking at as an American citizen if you do not consider what I have said so please I implore you for your sake and for the sake of future generations reconsider allowing these folks to give you a false sense of security so that they can take away your liberty. This is the Earning Hope Podcast signing off. Have a good night.